other things. I'll, it's really funny, like, a lot of times, like, I'm, I'll be driving in the car, and I, I'm one of those freaks. I actually like Christmas music, so I'll listen to Christmas music sometimes on the radio, you know, torture myself like that. But I'll, I'll, I, will, I will listen to Christmas music, and, and the funny thing is, is a lot of times you will hear people on the radio talk about the reason for the season, right? And they'll be like, oh, the reason for Christmas, you know, is family, and it's eggnog, and all, which I love eggnog, by the way. But it's like, you know, all of these things are like, I'll be driving in my car and I will freak my kids out because I'll be, it's not about that! <laughs> you know, my kids, you know, they get upset. You know, but, it, but, like, it just, like, uh, it just hurts me. But, listen, all of those things are great. Well, I love Christmas trees, love Christmas music, love Christmas. I love all of the, like, peripheral things around Christmas. But all of those things, when we start to pile all of those things on, it makes Christmas really chaotic at times, doesn't it? It gets busy, and before we know it, we wake up surrounded by five feet of wrapping paper, and we're ten pounds heavier, and we're going, what just happened? <laughs> right? How many of you have ever, at the end of, of Christmas, on December the 26th, how many of you have, have woken up and just been like, where did Christmas go? It was a blur. Like, what just happened? It happens to me all the time. And so what we want to do for the next several weeks is we want to sort of just kind of move all of that stuff to the side for just a moment and really just get to the essence of Christmas. Because I don't want you to miss Christmas this year. And you're not. Like, you're going to get gifts. You're going to do that whole thing. You're going to do the dinners. You're going to do the family. Like, you're going to do those things. And so really, you're not really going to miss Christmas. But I, I don't want you to miss the essence of Christmas. Have you ever gotten a gift, and when, when you got a gift, like it was wrapped just really beautifully, and, and it had like great wrapping paper on it, and just this beautiful, intricate bow on top of it, and, and you looked at it, but, but you really didn't pay attention to the wrapping paper because you wanted what was inside the box, and so you just ripped through the wrapping paper just to get to the gift? I mean, most of us do that, right? Like, we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the wrapping paper. Unless you're my wife, because when I wrap something, it is horrendous. Like, you have no choice but to pay attention to it, because it comes in one of two forms. Either wadded up newspaper, or a Kroger bag. Like, one of the two. Like, it's just, it's just that way. Now, my wife and I, we've been married for eight years now, and so she has trained me. Yes, man, she has trained me to actually wrap presents now. And so, no, the Kroger bags are out. I can't do Kroger bags anymore. But if I hand you a Kroger bag... Uh, it's a Christmas gift, okay? So anyway, <laughs> but like wrapping up, there, there's something crazy about wrapping paper. And, 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 and I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, a gift that's wrapped in, in the funnies, you know, from, from the newspaper. I'm talking about like really beautiful wrapping paper with a really nice bow on it. Most of us probably don't pay attention to those things. But if we're not careful, We'll miss the wrapping paper just to get to the gift. And Christmas, the gift of Christmas is Jesus, is it not? It, it's Jesus. I mean, the, the, the gift of Christmas is Jesus. It will always be Jesus. Even if you don't want it to be Jesus, uh, newsflash, it's Jesus. And so the, the gift of Christmas is Jesus. And that's good. But I don't want you to miss the wrapping paper around you. Wrapping paper around the gift of Christmas is the essence, and that essence is that Jesus came to be with you. 
came to be with you. Jesus entered into the mess of humanity. He became flesh. God put himself into flesh, into the form of a baby. And so he didn't even come here as a man. He came as a baby completely dependent upon other people to be with us. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 1, it says this. It says that, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, that's the essence, that's the wrapping paper around the gift, is that, that Jesus actually came to be with you. Not just with us, but with you. He came to, to be near us. And maybe that's comforting to, to some of you, because even though you know that Christmas is about Jesus, all of the chaos of the holidays and, and Christmas makes this time of year really, really tough because it's hard for you to hear Jesus. The chaos drowns Jesus out. The, and specifically, maybe it's the, the voice of Jesus in your life. Because you get busy. You know, you got... 20 places to go. You got gifts to buy. You got the, the pressure of, of buying a gift and, and somehow trying to figure out how to surprise the person that you're giving the gift to because they picked the gift out, right? They're like, give me this. And you're like, okay, so you get it and you give it to them and you got to figure out how to make it a surprise, right? And there's all this pressure that comes with all of, all of the holiday chaos. And if we're not careful, it will easily drown out the voice of God. Wake up and it's, it's all over. We've, we've missed all of it. But for some of you, maybe it's a little deeper because it's not just around the holidays that the voice of God has gone silent in your life. It's just silent. It's just quiet. You've not heard Him in a long time. You've prayed, but you've got nothing back. You've done everything that you know how to do, but it still just kind of feels like he is silent. The thing that I love about Matthew 123 is that, that in this we see that the silence has actually been broken. You see, because up until this point, for 400 years, the voice of God had been silent. When we get to the end of the Old Testament, the, the book of Malachi ends, and at the end of the, the book of Malachi, between that time and, and the beginning of, of when Jesus would be born, there was a period of 400 years of silence where the prophets of God, they, would be, they didn't hear the voice of God. And so there was nothing written from God, there was nothing written about God, and so for 400 years, it seemed like he was silent. But he was not silent. He was actually very powerfully present. His voice may have been silent, but he was working behind the scenes. He was doing something. So maybe for you, though, maybe, maybe that's where you're at now. Maybe that's where you feel like. You feel like you're in that 400-year period where, where there is this silence. You're not hearing the voice of God. And you know that as Christmas continues to build, it gets closer and closer, and all of the chaos begins to, to creep in. Whether you want it to or not, you know that the voice of God is going to get quieter. And so, what do you do in the silence? What do you do in the silence? But most importantly, what is God doing in the silence? 
Because it may be true that, that the voice of God may be silent in your life right now, but here's the bottom line. If you get nothing else today, I want you to write this down. Is that even though God seems silent, He is very powerful present. Even though God may seem silent, He is very powerfully present. See, in that 400-year period when when the voice of God seemed silent, it was in Matthew 1 when the voice of God erupts back onto the scene. And I love the song Silent Night. Anybody, anybody like that song? I'm, I'm a big fan. That's, that's probably one of my favorite Christmas songs is, is Silent Night. I love, to, I love to listen to that song on Christmas Eve before I go to bed. Lights out, Christmas tree on, silence with the song Silent Night. Because there's a great calm. That comes from that song. There's a beautiful story behind that song. In the 1800s, early 1800s, there was a, a priest in Austria, and he actually wrote uh, the lyrics to the song, but it wasn't a song yet. It was just, just some words that he actually penned, but he, he was no musician. Uh, he just he wrote these beautiful lyrics to the song, and so he met a composer, a man who wasn't even a Christian. And he gave him the lyrics to this song, and he asked him, he said, Hey, could you compose music to go with the lyrics of this song and perform it at church on Christmas Eve? And so he did. And so a man who was a priest wrote the lyrics to the song Silent Night, but the man who was not even a Christian wrote the music. And the two of these things came together. And isn't it interesting how God can take anything and anyone and still use it for his glory? That's exactly what he did with this song, Silent Night. But if you know the Christmas story, you know that, that there was nothing silent about the night. <coughs> I mean, there was, there was nothing really silent because, again, the, the voice of God erupts onto the scene. It had been quiet for 400 years. For thousands of years, the, the people of Israel had been waiting because there had been promises made. God made promise after promise after promise after promise after promise from Genesis all the way through Malachi that there would be a coming of a Savior, that there would be a Messiah who was to come. And that, that word, they use that word Messiah, and that, that word Messiah simply means the one who is to come. And so there were these promises where God said there's a Savior who is coming. He is coming. He is coming. And Isaiah prophet would write that, that this Savior, this Messiah, this Emmanuel would erupt onto the scene. And so when Jesus is born, there was nothing really silent about it. But what about you? What if God's silent in your life? What do you do? How do you navigate that? How do you, and, and more importantly, what is God doing in you if God is, is silent in your life? Luke 24, I love this, this passage of scripture. You're like, that's not the Christmas story. You're very observant. It's not. But it's about Jesus, so that makes it okay. So in Luke 24, I want to show you two things real quick. I want to show you two things, and we're going to answer these questions. What do you do in the silence? And, and what, is, what is God doing in the silence? I want to show you how, how that although God's voice may be silent, he is very powerfully present. Check this out. Let me set this up. There's Jesus, uh, Luke 24. Jesus uh, has been crucified just a few days before this. 
He is also resurrected. When this takes place, it's actually on Resurrection Sunday. And so Jesus has been crucified. He, he is resurrected. And word has begun to, to get out and get around Jerusalem that, that Jesus uh, was not in the tomb. That the women went to the tomb. They got there and they found nothing in the tomb. Amen. And, and there was nothing there, but there were some angels there. And so there was this rumor going around that, that maybe, just maybe, Jesus was who he said he was, and he was going to do everything that he promised he would do. Check out what happens here. These two men, they're traveling from a place in Jerusalem to another village called Emmaus, and it's about a seven-mile journey. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 of Luke 24. It says this, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all of the things that had happened. Again, Jesus has been crucified. He is also resurrected. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love this picture. Like, like this, this part of this conversation really kind of cracks me up. How many of you know somebody that will literally walk into the middle of a conversation and act like they're part of it? You know what I'm talking about? You know, that's what Jesus does. These two guys are just kind of walking and talking, and Jesus kind of just rolls up in there, and he's just like, what's going on? <laughs> you know? And, but here, here's the thing. They don't know what's in. This is like some dude, right? Check out verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And I love this. Jesus says, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? As if he doesn't know. Like, what are you guys talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Rightfully so. They put all of their hope into this man, Jesus, who said that he was the Son of God. And as far as they know, because they've not laid eyes on him, as far as they know, he's dead. And so is their hope. Or so it would seem. So they're very sad. And he said to them, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? What the? Jesus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Tell me. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, if you circle, underline, highlight things in your Bible, I encourage you to highlight that phrase. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That phrase is so pregnant with the possibility because they're saying we hoped that he was Emmanuel. We hoped that he was the Messiah. We hoped that he was the man that he said he was. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see so Jesus, although they don't know it's Jesus, they're telling the story of Jesus. 
And they're walking along with this man. But, but again, that phrase, it said that they were, they were sad. And so the distress and the, and the chaos of, of what had just happened was shielding them from being able to see that it was Jesus. Isn't that what happens at Christmas time for a lot of us? Is that the, the chaos and the craziness of just Christmas shields us from seeing Jesus? And we know it's about Jesus. But we really focus Jesus. And we focus on the essence of the gift. Or are we missing the bracket paper? These men walking with Jesus, they, they, don't, they don't know, they don't even know it's him. So they had hope. They had hoped that what they heard was true. So let me ask you a question. What, what are you hoping for this Christmas? What do you, what do you hope Christmas will be? this year? Do you hope it will be something, something different than it was last year? Do you hope it will be different from any other Christmas that, that you've ever had? What, do you, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Is it a, is it a gift that you're hoping to, to get? Is it a gift that you're hoping to, to give? Or are you hoping for something different? Are you hoping that maybe this year Christmas will be different because this year you won't lose the voice of God in the chaos? What are you hoping for? These men continue conversation, and, and Jesus uh, begins to sort of talk with them a little bit. Uh, pick it up, just a couple of verses down in verse 28. They begin to, to get close to Emmaus. Verse 28 says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. I love how he does that. He's just going to come out. But they, they saw that it was him. They saw that it was Jesus. And I love verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened us? See, although it seemed like there was silence, God was actually very powerful present, wasn't it? And he was doing something in them. Their hearts, it said their hearts burned within them. There was, there was something about that experience. Although they, they didn't know it was Jesus, they, they felt him doing something in them. There was something that was going on. There was something that was taking place. And so it, even though it felt like he was silent, he was actually very powerfully present. And so what about, what about you? Question one, we said, well, what do I do in the silence? I believe that, that in the silence that we have to trust God in that silence because he is making our hearts burn. He's doing something in you. Not to you. He's doing something in you. Behind the scenes. You may not be able to see it now, but there's something taking place behind the scenes. These two men, they, they didn't know that it was Jesus, but he was, he was doing something in them as their hearts burned within them. And so when you sense God's silence and you feel his absence, you have to trust his presence. When you sense God's silence, 
and feel his absence, you have to trust his presence. It's a whole trust thing. It's a faith thing. And if you don't understand what God is doing, don't miss out on his presence. I heard somebody put it like this one time. They, they said it this way. They said, so, you know, how, how do I do that? How do I, how do I trust his presence it, it, when, it, when it feels like maybe he's silent? How do I trust his presence when, it, when it, maybe it feels like maybe he's absent? And, and they said this. They said, answer this question. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Figure that out and do it today. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Figure that out and do it today. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, that sounds great, you know, looks really good on a coffee cup, but it's true. How do I know that that works? How do I know that if I, if I trust his presence, how do I know that if, if, I, if I just believe that, that God is with me, how do, I, how do I know that that is true? I, I would simply remind you once again, his name is God with us. His very name, the essence of his name is that he's with you, that he's next to us, that he is amongst us, that he is very powerfully present. Although he may seem silent, he's very powerfully present. And so what is God doing exactly in the silence? I believe the answer to question number two uh, is actually found in that 400 year span where it seemed like, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where it seemed like God was silent. You see, he was actually very busy. He was actually very much at work. And I want to show you really quick how he, the chain of events that, that shows me that I know that he was actually at work. You see, in that 400-year period, there was a man by the name of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great was probably one of the greatest military uh, strategic leaders of all time. Alexander the Great had a kingdom that uh, was the greatest kingdom ever ever built. I mean, he, he conquered all of the known world. If, the, if it was known, he conquered it. It was Alexander the Great who did this, and he did it in a very short amount of time, but he didn't live very long. This man, Alexander the Great, didn't. And so part of the kingdom that, that he actually conquered as part of his kingdom was in this Middle Eastern section where Jesus would have been born. But before Alexander the Great died, he sent a, a decree out across his entire kingdom. And he said that he wanted the entire kingdom, which would have been, again, the entire known world at the time, he wanted them to speak one common language. And that common language was the language called Koine Greek. And so Alexander the Great, before he died, he made this decree that everyone in the known world will speak one common language because I want these people to be unified. I want them to be under the same language. And so he sent this decree out, and so this language of Koine Greek began to spread across all of the kingdom that he had built and all across the known world. And so hundreds of years later, when Jesus was born, much of the New Testament 
happened to be written in the language that was being spoken most commonly during the time, which is Koine Greek. And so what happened here was simply that this language was common amongst the people. And so when people would meet other people from other places, they would be speaking the same language. And so not long after Jesus had been crucified, there was a man by the name of Silas. And Silas was a man who was a murderer of Christians. And on his way to carry out the destruction of Christianity as it began to spread rapidly after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ... Jesus would radically save this man by the name of Silas. Most of us know him as the Apostle Paul. Now the interesting thing about the Apostle Paul was although he was a Jew, the Apostle Paul was very fluent in Koine Greek. And so it would be through this man, Paul, who would eventually end up writing most of what we have in the, in the New Testament, but it would be this man, Paul, that, that Jesus or that God would say to, to him to, to go and to take the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles is just another word for anybody who was not Jewish. And so, if you weren't Jewish, you were a Gentile. And so, it was through Paul that Paul took the gospel to everyone else who was not Jewish, who spoke Koine Greek. And so, the gospel began to spread rapidly. <coughs> Thousands upon millions of people would become Christians. And the gospel would begin to spread with this common language, Koine Greek, all over the world. Now there's a lot of other little pit stops in there that we can talk about that, that really help further this along. But I just want to give you a, a snapshot of this. And so the gospel would eventually spread to people in England who had enough of religious tyranny, hopped on a boat came to a place called Plymouth Rock. You just thought you were getting together and having some meals, right? But the gospel traveled across the ocean to the United States of America. And it was from the Puritans, the pilgrims, that the gospel would end up spreading all across America. And then in the 1950s, a man by the name of William Ruth was a young pastor, young church planner. He started a church not too far from here in Clinton, Tennessee called Lakeview Baptist Church. And at Lakeview Baptist Church, him and along with several other families began this little country Baptist church. And then about 30 years or so later, my grandmother would wake my scrawny butt up and drag me off to church in the 1980s, kicking and screaming. But eventually... I learned to love. And then somewhere around the mid-1990s or so, early 1990s actually, uh, as a 13-year-old boy, I gave my life to Jesus in Lakeview Baptist Church. And you're like, what does that have to do with me? During about that same period of time, a man by the name, you know him as our executive pastor, Pastor Rusty, he and his wife, Kay, were sent on a prayer walk. And as they were sent on a prayer walk, one of the places that they walked through was LaSalle Road, right here, this road that you <coughs> drove on to get to this.
this building. And as they walked down LaSalle Road, praying for the people that they would pass, they passed by this church, which at the time was called Oak Ridge Baptist Church. And as they passed by this church, they prayed for what God would do in this church. They didn't know anybody in this church. They didn't know anything about this. But they prayed for it because that was part of what they were doing is they were prayer walking this neighborhood. And then fast forward about 15 years or so later, in 2008, myself, my wife, the Samson family, Rusty K. Allen, along with 10 other people, came together and said, we're going to plant a church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And so when we finally figured out that it was going to be in Oak Ridge, we, we started in 2009 Ridge Community Church. And Rich Community Church began in 2009, and then in 2011, I got a phone call by, the name, by, the, by a man by the name of Tom Craig. And Tom Craig called me up, and he said, hey, I'm the pastor of a church called Oak Ridge Baptist Church, and we have a building that we're not using anymore. Would you like to use it? And I said no. True story. And I called him back about 20 minutes later. <laughs> Tell me of this building that you speak of. <laughs> and so in 2011, the Ridge Community Church moved from the Doubletree Hotel to this building at 157 Road. And then in 2012, by God's favor and grace, we were able to purchase this building in 2012. Now, let me ask you a question. Most of you in 2008, or, or even 2009, and in 2011, weren't even here at Rich Community Church. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you would say that in some way or fashion, not me, but what God has done through the ministry of Rich Community Church, how many of you would say in some way, small or big, you have been impacted by what God has done at Rich Community Church? I'll raise my hand. Leave them up and look around. God was not silent. He was very powerfully present, working behind the scenes to do something that none of us would know about. And although in 2011, maybe God was very silent for me in 2011, maybe God was very silent. For you in the 1980s. Maybe God was very silent for you in the, in the 1950s when a man by the name of, of William Root planted a church. And, and or all of us, because none of us existed when Alexander the Great said, I want the entire kingdom to speak one common language at point A Greek. God was working behind the scenes. Even though sometimes God may feel silent. He is very powerful and present. Working, guarding in our hearts. You and I, none of us in this room ended up in this room, in the seat that you're sitting in. None of, none of us ended up here by accident. Regardless of why you thought that you're you made it here today, it wasn't on accident. 
It wasn't by chance. It wasn't just one of those random things that happened. You're here today to simply hear one thing. And that one thing is that don't miss the essence of Christmas. That Jesus, Emmanuel, is with you. And that even though his voice may seem silent, he is very powerful and present. He is not surprised by what is going on in your life right now. You're not shocking him. He is very powerfully present. And he may be doing something in you that you can't see yet, that you can't understand yet, but he's doing it. And so what we have to do is we just have to trust his presence. God with us. I love what Psalm 34 says. 18 says, David is the man who, who writes this in, in the Old Testament. And if you know anything about the story of David, you know that, that these words are extremely weighty in what this man had experienced. Because as he's writing this, he's writing this from a place of brokenness. He's writing this from a place of, of despair and, and sadness. And writing this from a place of... Um, just utter hopelessness. But yet he, he writes these words. He says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in the spirit. I think for some of us, we just need to be reminded that Jesus is near. That he's with us. That he's with you. That his very name, Emmanuel, means God with us. And if anything else today, Let's just be reminded of that. Let's not miss the wrapping paper around the gift of Christmas. Yes, the, the gift is Jesus, but let's not miss the fact that he came to be with us. Let's stand by. All the way from Genesis 3 in the Old Testament all the way all the way through Scripture we see promise after promise after promise after promise that Scripture gives us that, that God hands out. And in the Old Testament the, many of the promises that were made were promises of a, a coming Messiah, of a King, of Emmanuel. And God made good on His promise because He gave us Jesus. And Jesus didn't stay in a tomb. He was resurrected. He is alive. And so that promise came true. And so, God doesn't make promises that He doesn't intend to keep. And so when He says that He will be near to the broken heart, you can trust His presence. That He is near. Even if you can't hear Him, can't sense him, trust his presence. That's right. Father, Amen. God, thank you for giving us your son. For giving us a savior, a messiah, 
God, who would not leave us, who would be present, who would be near. God, as we celebrate and anticipate God, the first coming of Christ, God, let us also be filled with excitement and anticipation for the promise of the second coming. God, fill us with the hope and the courage, God, to take a step out in faith when we need to trust your presence. God, that it's not that you're just purposely, you're not ignoring us, God. You're very powerfully present. God, remind us of that. God, for anyone who may be here this morning, God, who is just asking why you're silent, where are you at? God, let them feel your presence. Let them feel your hope. Let them see the light in your presence. That you are near. That you are present. That you are close to the broken heart. Trust our whole lives to you. Father, we love you. God, is it in your name that we